Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today we have Alex Russell, a 2016 UVA McIntyre School of Commerce graduate who's the founder of Nothing Special, a kava beverage company. We discuss with Alex the story behind how he discovered kava, its uses and benefits, the media his company has produced to educate consumers, and his journey as a solo entrepreneur. Enjoy. Learning Out Loud is excited to announce that we're forming a partnership with College Contact. College Contact is a technology platform that connects high school students with college undergraduates for affordable and accessible college admissions advising. In short, your student gets to meet with a current college student at their favorite university. Once you set up an initial meeting with College Contact, they'll match your high school to a college student based on your preferences. This college student will mentor and advise your high schooler through the entire process, from forming a college list to brainstorming, writing, and editing college essays to applying for scholarships and financial aid. The best part, it's extremely affordable, with hourly sessions starting at just $60 an hour with our 20% off discount code, Learning Out Loud. Just to get started, if you want to give us, you know, a two to five minute overview about kind of coming out of college, how you came up with the idea and uh, where you are and what you're doing now. Yeah, so I graduated from UVA in 2016. I did finance and environmental science. I was fortunate to get a scholarship to Cambridge through the business school at UVA uh, called the Lennox Cunningham Scholarship, and I deferred my investment making start to do that. Um, that was a pretty informative year. I did political and economic theory, and not just academically, but kind of personally, professionally as a whole, traveling and kind of getting outside of the business school mindset. Um, so then I started a year later than the folks I interned with at Lazard, that's the bank I went to. I was in the consumer retail M&A group and really didn't like finance like I thought I would coming out of UVA. I mean, I think the experience abroad had me positioned differently and I wasn't kind of gung-ho on finance like I was coming out of UVA. Um, so I really liked consumer retail and learning about early stage brands and the human element behind them and I really like the industry, but I didn't really like the uh, actual finance work. I felt like creativity doesn't really thrive there. You know, um, I had started some things in college. I felt like I had a more entrepreneurial mindset. I was looking at more early stage opportunities. You know, a lot of my peers went to hedge funds and private equity and um, corporate development, or they stayed in banking. And I didn't want to be that. Um, I just started gravitating towards earlier things like, okay, say we're working with Anheuser-Busch InBev, we're advising them on an acquisition of a small spirits company. I didn't want to be the banker advising. I didn't want to be the corp dev guy at AB InBev. Um, I didn't want to be you know, the, the debt lender for the acquisition, whatever it might've been. I said, what about that founder who created that company? That, that sounds really cool. Um, and naively it's like, okay, I think every founder thinks if, if someone else can do it, so can I. Um, but then you realize it's a lot harder than that. Uh, but generally I was nearing the end of my investment making stint, looking for something a little different, uh, early stage startup. And that's when I discovered Kava. Um, this is right before 2019, um, in Austin, Texas, I was there for the ACL music festival, with a UVA friend of mine who lived there and we had a fun weekend and I was getting ready to head back to New York. And he said, Hey, I'm going to take you to this place. They serve this beverage called Kava that'll help you relax before your flight home. And I was super unaware. I had no idea what Kava was. This is when CBD was all the rage. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried CBD products, you know, they promised sort of relaxation without being high. I never got anything from it. I thought it was kind of snake oil, you know, it was like this huge boom. And then kind of, it was still in the boom at that point. Now it's since kind of become a bust in many ways. Um, but he took me to the Kava bar and everyone there is drinking this muddy water looking beverage. That's the Kava. It's, I learned it's made from the roots of the Kava plant, which is native to the South Pacific or the Pacific islands. And it doesn't look good, doesn't taste that good, very bitter, very earthy from this root of the kava plant. Um, but people drink it for the effects. So I was really blown away because unlike CBD, you know, I felt the kava pretty quickly. Within the first couple of sips, your mouth goes numb from the active compounds called cavalactones. Then you feel the relaxation uh, within five, 10 minutes. And it's a really unique feeling. But this is why people drink kava. You feel relaxed in the present moment, easing of physical and mental tension, just kind of the Zen state that's really difficult to describe unless you've had it. The way I describe it for people who haven't had it is what kind of kind of what CBD promised, relaxation without intoxication, or the opposite of coffee. When you drink coffee, you feel it, but you're not drunk, you're not high, you're not inebriated, you're very clear thinking. Kava is the same just for the evening occasion. So drink coffee on your way to work, drink kava on your way home from work. Um, and I'm a pretty naturally curious person. Um, and I feel like that's one of the reasons why I didn't like banking is like, you know, there's a very set way to do things. And, you know, it's a very structured way to work your way up. And that that's fine um, and great for some people. But there's something I immediately saw at kava where it was this underappreciated gem. You know, you do a quick Google search, you learn, wow, it's got all this history in the Pacific Islands. It's really the social beverage of choice in Fiji, Tonga, Vanuatu, Samoa, etc. as this rich cultural history beloved by millions of people throughout history. Why is kava not everywhere? You know, what what is the story behind kava? And, you know, couple this with me, my discontent in my banking job, I really immediately dove into the kava rabbit hole. So I went back to New York and I went to every kava bar in New York city at the time, there were like six or seven. And I continued to like the beverage. And I, one of the guys I met said, Hey, if you like kava so much, just go to the Pacific islands and learn more. I said, okay, that's actually a good idea. So I saved up, I saved up vacation time. This is 2019. And I went to Fiji and Vanuatu. And that's where I was really blown away by all the kava drinking, especially in Vanuatu, which is like the homeland of kava. It's where the kava plant was first domesticated by humans, just like humans have bred apple trees or cows or dogs. We did the same with kava or the wild version of the kava plant. Piper wickmanii is a scientific name, became Piper methysticum, the human like bred version. Um, and in Vanuatu, there's over 80 varietals or cultivars of kava, all with a uniquely different effect and taste and experience because of the different proportions of the kava lactones. Those are the active compounds in kava. Um, there's a lot to explain about Cobb and I'll get to why we're making all this media, et cetera, um, to educate folks about it. But seeing and tasting and feeling Cobb and Vanuatu was believing, you know, I kept thinking, wow, if a venture capitalist, you know, with my business hat on still in banking with that mindset, if a venture capitalist were with me, they'd be blown away by all the Cobb drinking and say, you know, sort of screw CBD like screw some of these neurotropics, adaptogens, whatever. A lot of this like snake oil that I think consumers are pretty worried of like, oh my gosh, there's one kava bar for every 50 people in Vanuatu. 
and alcohol imports have decreased by 40% ever since kava was first commercialized in the early 80s at Vanuatu's independence. Um, so it is the real deal. There's a ton of kava drinking. I was there for three weeks. I met with all the kava exporters and academics and farmers. I could, an amazing country, loving people. They welcome me with open arms. They're really proud of their kava, like the French are of their wine. They want to see their kava grow. They want to see it drink around the world. So I said, wow, like here's something that I love. Um, I enjoyed it in Vanuatu. And it's this more premium experience, the fresh kava. Think of it like, would you rather have like really nice pour over coffee or would you have that rather have like instant coffee from a cam? The Vanuatu kava was like the former for kava, like just blew my mind with how good it was. I said, if we can bring this world-class kava experience to America, we can scale the kava experience to a more mainstream consumer who won't tolerate sort of that kava bar experience currently in America, which is not very tasty, you know, inconsistent, um, overall, just like a lower quality experience. If we bring this amazing Vanuatu fresh kava experience, um, that can scale to a mainstream consumer, like we've seen with kombucha kind of becoming mainstream or matcha or yerba mate. There is a story with these interesting ingredients or beverages or products from around the world being adapted for the American consumer. Um, so I came back to the States with this vision. Okay, we can create world-class kava beverages for the mainstream driven by this catalyst of consumers looking to drink less alcohol. That really is the timing aspect of this is there's real demand for kava now because people want to feel good, but not wake up with a hangover and not have negative health effects. You know, the secret is out that alcohol is poison. I love booze. The who's love booze. It's a great thing for socializing and, and, you know, bonding experiences. And I'll probably drink alcohol for the rest of my life, but I think it's quality over quantity. And we're seeing that, especially with younger generations, the data don't lie. People are drinking less and Kaaba fits in perfectly. Um, you can still enjoy social experiences, say Tuesday night with Kaaba, relax with your friends, um, Friday night, uh, you know, relax with your family or roommates at home. Saturday night, let alcohol win there. Fine. But Kava is really good for these nothing special occasions. And um, I can get into more of the brand building and, and all that since. So it sounds like that's where the name came from that you just mentioned. So if you could talk a little bit more about that, that'd be awesome. Sure. So the name, yeah, the name didn't come that, um, you know, when you're building a company, it's funny to like to remember the exact story. Um, you kind of like, you can tell the story after the fact and it, it, you know, there are so many little points in company building and we tell ourselves these narratives. Um, but I do discreetly remember the name building uh, and we worked with a brand agency. So let me take a step back. Um, after coming back to the States, I was, I got really lucky because I was looking for finance jobs after Lazard. Wasn't really excited about anything. I was really passionate about Kava and I was really lucky. I made a really bad pitch deck talking about this Kava vision to bring it to the mainstream consumer. I was able to raise um, 150,000 in angel capital from actually a UVA alum and his business partner. And that allowed me to go in full time. Naively, I thought that would be enough to launch the product. Definitely was not enough, um, but it allowed me to go in full time. And being in consumer retail and banking, you know, brand is kind of the big moat, right? Like if you look at the, the hard seltzers, like anyone can make a hard seltzer. What differentiates generally brand and distribution and sometimes like R&D technique. But 
and consumer products brand is king. So I said, okay, we really need to make a great Kaba brand. There isn't a great Kaba brand. There's a lot of tacky stuff like we're going to put a turtle on the on our Kava or we're going to, you know, put a palm tree. Um, so we hired an agency, a really great one um, out of the Bay Area. And we did a whole brand strategy session about like what, what are people looking for kind of on an emotional level and where does Kava fit in there? Like where is the fit bet like between the Kava experience and what people want? And funny enough, I think it's a pretty natural fit today, right? People are more stressed than ever. We're like trying to hyper optimize ourselves. We're like on this like treadmill of like constantly trying to improve. And we're like losing sight of like the journey, losing sight of like just actually enjoying the present moment, especially with like digitiz digitization of our world. Um, we're losing sight of sort of like heritage or reality away from digital reality. Like we did, we did interviews with potential consumers and it's like, what about those spontaneous moments, you know, um, like not at the party, but like the funny thing that happened on the way to the party, right? Like this, there's something there that everyone can resonate with, um, that we're kind of losing sight of today with like everything being so planned out with technology, kind of like making everything so easy to optimize. Like there's actually beauty in the unoptimized and the spontaneous. And it's just, it's kind of a philosophical, we went pretty deep, like philosophically and, we were looking at like Zen Buddhism and like wabi-sabi, which is like this Japanese aesthetic philosophy that the imperfect is beautiful. Um, everything is in motion. Um, there's beauty sort of in the uh, the hidden details of the world. So we said, okay, like we think the consumer would appreciate this. And we did naming and <laughs> our agency presented us five names. And the first one was nothing special. And right away, it just hit. We're like, whoa, that is a really cool name. Um, and then I like frantically that night did a ton of research about nothing special, like trademark, you know, are there other brands called nothing special. I discovered a book. It came full circle, a Zen Buddhist book, which we kind of got into during our strategy phase of the branding called nothing special. Um, it came out in the nineties written by this, uh, Californian, uh, woman. And one of the phrases from the book, when nothing is special, everything can be. And we're like, okay, wow, this really ties into the Kava experience, right? Where when you drink Kava, again, it's such a unique feeling, but when you drink it, you really get it. And it, it made me immediately think of my Vanuatu Kava experiences. You are so content in that moment. You don't want to reach for your phone. You can just chat with the person next to you. Um, you really, really are so present in a way that I think is really tough now because we we are kind of slaves to our technology and our dopamine receptors are looking for that next hit from some application on our phone. So when you drink kava, you're able to enjoy the spontaneous, kind of the unplanned, the imperfect. You're able to enjoy the ordinary, like just cook dinner, just read a book, right? Just enjoy nothing special. So that's where like it really hit. We're like, okay, not just nothing special, enjoy nothing special. And then we felt we really had this really strong brand and brand strategy, really distinct. I think quite beautiful. We've since done a lot of brand work since, you know, to try to adjust the identity. You know, people think the name is too negative sometimes, but it's funny when I go to conferences or I tell people the name, people still are like, whoa, like that's a cool name. That's distinct. Um, so we're going to keep the name. We thought about changing it, but what we're doing now, it's some rebrand work. And this is a good segue into our media is to really show the Kava story first and not this like nothing special story because the consumers 
you know, doesn't even know what kava is, right? So we have to educate the consumer first about kava, and then they can get into sort of the deeper connection and emotional connection with kava and enjoying nothing special, enjoying the present moment. Um, but let me stop there. I'm happy to chat more about the media. Yeah, no, that that's an awesome overview. And we appreciate, you know, digging deep on the name. So you mentioned that there was, uh, you know, cultural background to kava that, you know, maybe isn't there with CBD, but can be there with certain types of alcohol. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, and then how you parlayed that into the the media experience, I think we'd love to hear about that. Totally. Um, and that was one of the things that, you know, what one of the things that really blew my mind about Kaaba was the the richness of its history and culture. You know, I think people on their Instagram ads will see like Superfood X, you know, Superfood Y, Neurotropic Z, so many of these things. And no one knows if they're legit. You know, I think people are really wary these days, but, you know, Kaaba, there's like hundreds of books about Kaaba, right? Um, you can just read all the academic papers about it. You can go to the Pacific Islands and see uh, in museums there all about Kaaba history. Talk to the people all about their Kaaba drinking. It is so real and timeless. That's what we always say about Kaaba. It is timeless and not trendy. Um, just like coffee, just like wine, just like tea, these other timeless beverages, people have always said Kaaba is to the Pacific Islands like wine is to the Mediterranean region. So you know, France and Italy, um, Croatia, whatever, they all have different types of wine. They're proud of different varietals. Kava, same in the Pacific. Vanuatu Kava is different than Fijian Kava, different than Tongan. They're all proud of it in their own way. So that timelessness of Kava really stood out to me from the start. And as we were doing brand building and working, you know, we realized the brand on its own, there are a lot of cool brands out there, right? Like that speak to consumers and, and, the problem though with those brands is they don't really have a lot of substance behind them, uh, like in the liquid itself, right? Like, like I said with CBD, I think it's not that efficacious. Um, they're kind of hawking something snake oily that doesn't really work, but they have a beautiful brand. Great. Um, but with Kava, we have something where we can just let the Kava story tell itself, right? We don't have to do this like overly branded thing for this ingredient that doesn't work. Kava does work. It has this great timelessness. Let's share that and kind of step out of the way. And that's where nothing special really comes in. Well, we are nothing special. We're coming from this place of humility and trying to share this very special thing in Kava with the world. Let's step aside and showcase that amazing Kava story. So we decided to create original media on Kava because there was none. There were, were no documentaries or beautiful print media or anything about kava like there is again for wine for coffee these other timeless uh, beverages so in 2021 um i hired a team actually a good uva friend of mine as well came um he was a photographer and then we had a new york-based film crew come we went to hawaii for just over two weeks to the big island oahu and molokai met with all the kava people we could um, filming Kava stories. And then we also made a 160 page book on Kava um, under the Nothing Special Presents name. So sort of our brand is presenting all these Kava stories. But um, from the start, we never wanted it to be like, we're just making this to sell beverages. It really is to educate people, steward Kava, um, and to, yes, show people that we are trying to do Kava well. Um, but like, for example, on the media website, it doesn't link back to the beverage. We always wanted it to be independent 
the beverage can, site can go to the media site, but we always want the media site to be independent and not be about selling beverages. It's about sharing the beauty of kava. And we've won a lot of friends and fans because of that, because there was this dearth of kava media and everyone goes, oh, you want to learn about kava? Go to nothingspecialpresents.com, watch their videos, read their magazine. Um, and those relationships have kind of snowballed with that first uh, trip to Hawaii. We were able to do another trip to New Caledonia, which is a French territory in the South Pacific. We went in 2022. That's a really interesting case study because it's less about the cultural history of kava and more the commercialization of it in the modern day. So there's been a lot of kava drinking in New Caledonia since the 1970s when native Vanuatuans came over. Um, New Caledonia only has 300,000 people. It's like a set of islands northeast of Australia, part of France. Uh, so it's like very diverse. There's Europeans, there's Asians, there's Pacific Islanders. And if you go to the capital city, Noumea, there's a ton of kava bars. Um, and New Caledonia doesn't grow kava because it's too cold. So they only import kava. So it's a really interesting case study because New Caledonia, which has 300,000 people, imports more kava than all of the American mainland, which has like over 330 million people. So the per capita consumption is really high. Um, and we wanted to showcase sort of that example of a more contemporary consumer, urban consumer in Noumea drinking kava. A lot of people say, okay, of course, there's a lot of kava drinking in Vanuatu. They grow it everywhere. It's kind of like their part of their national identity. But in New Caledonia, it is definitely a newer thing. And they love kava. So we, we created media to showcase that sort of different perspective on kava. Um, and it's been great. It's really been a passion project, a passion of love for kava. I think a lot of people in the kava world um, really fall in love with it and, and its unique effects. And um, we wanted to do kava right and, and lean into that media, not just for our benefit, for the benefit of everyone involved in kava, because no one had ever really created this media before. So when you've been saying we, besides um like the media team that you worked with and the branding team that you worked with, who um, else has been working with you and how have you gone about getting those people? Yeah, I can kind of talk about general like startup team building. Um, so I started out as a solo founder. Uh, there's always a debate about, you know, do you have a co-founder or you go as a solo founder? And I... I think a lot of people like your Y commenters go, you need a co-founder. Like we only take companies that have co-founders. Um, I think that works for tech companies where you kind of need a more technical person and then maybe a business person or maybe just two technical people because it's a big technical challenge. But a lot of beverage companies and food and beverage companies or CPG companies, consumer packaged goods companies generally are started by individuals. Um, we're not doing rocket science in the same way. We're not solving hard technical problems. We are doing a lot of food science work with Kava um, and really trying to build this competitive advantage with our proprietary processing. But I've been able to hire third-party folks to help there um, and kind of become the Kava expert myself. So for the product building, we've worked with Cornell, um, Ohio State, some private institutions as well to try to work on Kava food processing. There's no one that's been able to create this world-class Kava beverage that is three things, tasty, efficacious, and shelf-stable. And if you go to these PhDs, you know they know a lot about food science, but they don't even know what kava is. They don't know where to start. The Pacific Islands, um, the folks in the Pacific Islands 
know a lot about kava, but they don't know a lot about how to process it, bottle it, et cetera, because they just drink it fresh. Um, so what I've kind of done is marry the two folks, the kava experts with the food science experts. And in doing so as a liaison, I've kind of become this kava food science expert. I took a couple of courses. I'm like, I have a couple of certifications. I joke, I'm an amateur food scientist. So, you know, it's funny because I could have been like, oh, I'll find a co-founder who is a food scientist. And maybe that would have led to like something different, but I think it's pretty organic. Um, it was a bit of like a solo journey for me. It didn't really make sense to bring on a co-founder. I was able to raise funding just on my own. And then I was able to find the right people for product building, which is different than the right people for brand building and different than the right people for media creation, right? So I've been able to hire the right partners. And then I did bring on a small team starting last year uh, to help commercialize the product. Someone who worked at Impossible Foods in the same role. Um, and then I've had MBA interns the past two summers now, which has been great um, because they're able to slot in and kind of be the jack of all trades with, you know, any of the million things we need to do. Uh, but the idea is, you know, once we raise an institutional round of funding, we haven't yet, we've just taken from individual investors that'll allow us to really build out the team. But as the old saying goes in startup land, you know, you really don't want to hire until you absolutely have to. And I actually made the mistake of kind of overhiring last year. And I had to move people to part-time um, because, you know, that really can drain your cash sources if you're not bringing in revenue, right? We're a pre-launch company. So um, really just trying to build thoughtfully when you need to. Um, and I do think, you know, solo founders can do it in the right sort of industry with the right company. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And we've spoken to a bunch of different founders who have had co-founders and people that they started with along the same road at the same time. So I think it's interesting to see the perspective of doing it on your own. Um, when you, when you were going about selecting where you were taking the kava from, I know you mentioned there are some differences in, from different islands, how it tastes or what the process is. So how did you go about selecting the right area to source the, the kava from? Yeah. So that was our challenge, right? When I come back from Manawatu, I say, okay, I want to make a world-class kava beverage. Well, you got to start with the kava, the kava root, right? You take the kava plant, you harvest it in year four or five when it's mature and you take the roots and you sort of think of like ginger root, making ginger juice. You kind of mash up the root, you mix it with water, you filter it, you get a nice ginger juice, same idea with kava. But, you know, if you want to buy kava in America, you can either buy the dried kava root, like from Amazon or from a wholesaler, or you can buy like extracts of kava that are made instead of with water. Um, they, like you'll take the kava root and brew kava tea sort of with water, but the extracts are, they use ethanol or acetone or a non-aqueous solvent to get just the kava lactone. So think of it like, you know, instead of buying coffee beans, you're just buying coffee, caffeine extract, right? So we didn't want to buy this like kava lactone or kava extract. We didn't buy want to buy the dried kava root because that wouldn't get us to this amazing fresh kava experience in Vanuatu that they have. Um, where it's the fresh kava root that hasn't been dried, is that is brewed into the beverage. So, okay, like let's figure out how to get this fresh kava root into America. There were folks in Hawaii that were shipping it over to the mainland, but it was really small scale. No one had ever imported fresh frozen kava at scale. So that was a big challenge working with like FDA lawyers, getting the USDA permits, um, and working with select suppliers in Vanuatu who have the capability 
to harvest and then quickly freeze the package and freeze the kava before it goes bad. That's why people dry it because kava would go bad. Otherwise, if you just left it out in the like the hot tropical air. People dry kava to make it shelf stable for transport across the Pacific, but that's what leads to the degra uh, degradation in quality. So we were able to do the first frozen imports of kava at scale, I believe in US history from Vanuatu and Tonga. And now we import mostly from a couple suppliers in Vanuatu. Um, and it's a bit more of a finished good. We've worked with them to sort of improve the processing. I like to say from plant to palate, from the plant in these remote islands to the final product you drink, there's so many steps. And we've worked with folks to get the best possible kava to Los Angeles International Airport. And then we'll handle it from there to finish the batching and bottling of the kava. Um, so it's great because we know exactly where it comes from. We know exactly the farmers behind our kava unlike kava in the past, where you're just kind of ordering this miscellaneous extract, you have no idea where the kava came from. We're proud to be directly connected with the source. So where are you selling these? Are people just getting it from the website or are they gonna be in stores? So the plan is to do a beta launch. Um, we're really taking this experimental approach and kind of putting on the startup hat again. The past five years have been this mania where there's been so much capital funding few opportunities. And you had folks just kind of like throwing money at everything and throwing stuff at the wall to see what stuck. Um, our approach with Kava is, you know, we haven't raised a ton of money. We're really trying to be capital efficient and show signs of product market fit, right? Show that people are buying, repeat purchasing the Kava. Um, you know, really good word of mouth, really good social media um, with not a lot of spend. So with the beta launch, we're going to do only direct to consumer. We're going to do online sales on our website so we can learn more about the consumer, um, keep that data to ourselves um, to kind of iterate on our offering and best position ourselves. Again, kind of this learning mindset. And then D2C with Kava Carts in New York City, we're inspired by a company called Blank Street Coffee, which did coffee carts throughout the city. Um, we want to do the same with Kava because we can get those live learnings versus being at a retailer sitting on the shelf. We have no idea who's buying it. Um, we're not really able to educate the consumer. So this ground game, I think, is still very valuable when you're creating something new like Kava. Yes, it takes a lot of work, but you hit this inflection point where think of like matcha. Like when matcha first was introduced to Americans, they had no idea what it was. Now we're at the point where if you go to a coffee shop, you see matcha, most people will understand what that is, right? So we're trying to get to that point with Kava. We're pretty, we're getting closer. More people know about Kava now than they did a few years ago. Um but our media will obviously help educate with like all the stuff online, being direct with the consumer in person as well. And then with those learnings and with those signs of product market fit, we'll be able to, the idea is go into bigger retailers um, and kind of, you know, start that local, regional, national distribution, what you need to do in beverage to win. Beverage is a scale game. It's a volume game. We won't kid ourselves there, but it's really trying to showing the proof of concept early before you scale, because the worst thing to do is scale. And then you're on all the Whole Foods shelves nationally, but then the product is not moving off the shelf. Whole Foods is going to kick you out. So um, really going deep before we go wide. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How far away do you think you are from being down, you know, direct to consumer on your website and then the cars in New York? It always takes longer than you expect. I mean, this whole company building process has taken so long with Kava because no one's done this. 
Um, no one's created like a fresh kava beverage. So the food science has taken a while. Um, you know, we've done sort of rebranding work with the media has taken forever. I mean, but these are like labors of love and, and really at best position us, positions us for launch. You know, I talked about, there's this, there's like two, I think theories of like product launching. There's like the MVP, you know, lean startup hacker approach, which is like, just ship it, you know, get it out there, see what the consumer thinks, iterate, ship it again, iterate. That works for like bits, but not atoms, right? Like software is easy to change and adapt. Um, atoms, on the other hand, it's like the iteration cycles are longer. And Steve Jobs was really the proponent of the really ship something that is perfect. And I think with consumer, you know, nothing's perfect, right? But with the consumer, especially like food and beverage, it kind of either hits or it doesn't. And you're like, okay, I really like that. I'll buy it again. Or you're like, nah, something was off. The taste, the price, the brand, you're just like, nah, whatever. So we have really tried to get to that point pre-launch where we're like, this Kava really works, right? Where the consumer goes, oh my gosh, I love the effects. I love the taste. I want to buy it again. We've gotten closer and closer to that point. We've done a lot of sampling that in this summer. Um, we've done a lot of like interviews and consumer surveys and video testimonials, really trying to get in there. Um, and now I'm actually going to be in Chicago next week doing some final tweaks to the product. We'll be at Expo East, the trade show next month. And the idea is to launch the beta launch after that trade show, um, assuming no hiccups with uh, the production timeline. Um, so this is going way back to the beginning of our conversation when you were talking about investment banking. This has definitely been a common theme among, I would say, most of our guests so far that they kind of had an experience in whether it be finance, consulting, something in the corporate world. And then they kind of realized, all right, I really don't like this. And then they thought of something, they thought of a business. Do you think that having that kind of experience first where like you realize this is really not for me um, is necessary and, and helps you really realize like what you do like, or do you think that, I don't know, like there's another way to go about it? I mean, I'm by... I think I was, I think investment making is a valuable experience. I think a lot of like early professional experiences can be valuable, but there's also people that create companies that like didn't go to college. Um, keep it simple, stupid. Like it's crazy how I think people who I consider myself like kind of academic. Um, I feel like I can overanalyze things sometimes to a fault and that's not always good in the business world. Right. Like, you just got to go and execute. And I realized that's a weakness of mine. And I've tried to hire to like balance that out. Um, so with company building in particular, like there are success stories across the board. There are people that didn't go to college and created amazing companies. There are people that are PhDs in creating amazing companies. I will say, I think risk adjusted, it generally is good to start at a consulting firm, a bank, a great marketing firm, any sort of like solid professional first job, I think is valuable. You make some money, you learn a lot, you, you know, you, you brought in your network, you learn about what you like and don't like. Um, but it's also valuable to like go work on a ranch in Montana for a year after graduating or like do a grad degree. Like, you know, we only live one life, right? So it's tough to be like, what was the best thing I should have done? But I think if you look at every experience with an open mind and open heart, you can learn something from it not just what you like, but also what you don't like. And that was kind of my experience in banking. I learned, okay, I don't like this stuff. Um, but I'm not like anti-corporate either, right? I think 
sometimes we put ourselves in boxes and like the LinkedIn forces us to be like, I am this person. Like I am, I have to do like professional branding, but like, I don't know. I'm also, I could be going back to banking one day, or I could do venture capital. I'm not like anti-corporate. I think people have to adopt these identities to like, you know, it's a competitive world out there. Right. So you have to, you know, I'm the Kava guy for the time being, because if I'm the Kava guy, then I'll be able to raise more capital. And it's like, okay, fund the Kava guy. Cause he's the expert on Kava, but we're more than just that. Right. Um, we're more than just our job, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I, you see success stories across the board, but I would say, especially coming out of a place like UVA, you know, you're given a lot of these opportunities, so might as well take them because they're really competitive and, you know, they're great in many ways, but don't be, don't get the golden handcuffs, right? Don't, you know, I know folks that, you know, they, they kind of have lifestyle creep. They make a lot of money. And then by the time they're 35, they're like, wait, I don't even want to do this but I'm making all this money and I kind of like can't not make money because I have this expensive mortgage. I have the house, you know, the vacation house I have to pay off, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, yeah I think we all relate to that. Appreciate that. So I know you wanted to keep it around 40 minutes. We have like three quick questions we ask every guest at the end. So sure. we'll run through those. Um, so I guess first keeping on that kind of idea of success, how do you personally define success? Yeah, I think it's, contentment, right? Like I think so much of success is like these peaks, right? Where it's like, I get this like award or like I make a ton of money. Like for me, at least it's contentment um, where it's like balance. And especially as an entrepreneur, it's like I'm living in a time in my life where like, there's not a lot of balance. Um, and things are pretty hectic and crazy. Like, uh, so I think like long-term, long-term contentment um, and I don't want to say like self-actualization. I think that's like a little cringe. Like our world is so individualistic. Um, I'd like to think there's more than just like actualizing the self. There's like family, there's faith, there's community. There's these other things we can value beyond just the individual success, but some, some form of contentment or some form of wisdom. You know, I took a class in the McIntyre school at UVA with this great professor, uh, David Mick. It's called Wisdom and Wellbeing. And it kind of addresses this exact question. Like in the, in business school, our top success is really you put a dollar value on it. And, and yeah, that's one way to define it. But we've, you know, let's not lose sight of wisdom and these other values like resilience or persistence or these things that like go beyond just the dollar value um, that are difficult to quantify. You know, our world is moving towards everything being quantified, everything being tracked with technology. To me, a lot of success is the intangibles there that can't be in and that lie in sort of a sustainable contentment. Yeah, that's a very Kava answer too. <laughs> that, that fits well. Um, yeah, so we also wanted to hear if you have any advice. We touched on this a little bit, but you know, kids our age who are in college who maybe have an eye towards entrepreneurship, do you have any advice on pursuing those ideas, balancing you know, the risk and reward of going towards a more traditional path or how to go about, you know, building your network and being able to kind of go alongside the corporate world while, you know, forging your own path with your own company or idea. Yep. There are many ways to do it. Um, I'm, I never was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. It just kind of happened. Um, and I think there are like entrepreneurship classes, which I think is kind of an oxymoron. Like, I don't know if we can be taught. And I think every entrepreneur has like a different approach and there's different styles and, um, I would just like do what you like and are good at, right? 
And then you can also throw in like, if it's good for the world, if you care about that. Um, but generally, if you do what you like and do what you're good at, you're going to end up in some good places. Um, I think it's that simple. And if it leads to entrepreneurship, that's great. If it leads to law school, that's great. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely been another theme as well that a lot of people we've had were never interested or not that they weren't interested, but they weren't expecting to be an entrepreneur. So it's interesting hearing the difference between the people that do always want to be one and then the people that it kind of just like finds them. Um, I guess the last thing that we've been asking people kind of like keeping along the learning out loud theme, the name of our podcast is just, do you have any feedback for us on how we did? You guys are great. It was great. Um, really nice questions. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll follow up with you. Like, um, maybe I'll think of some stuff that works, you know, maybe some different formats or something. I'll, I'll try to think of something creative. You know, it's, it's cool. You guys are doing the short, the reels or the, the TikToks. I'm sure you're doing. It's funny because I lament like, you know, my company is about like drink kava and like read a book and like get off TikTok because I feel like our attention spans have all gone down the drain. Um, but then I'm like, oh my God, it is crazy how like, it's so easy to just watch like reel after reel. Um, yeah. But then I'm like, okay, wait, I, I didn't like remember anything that the reels just told me. <laughs> um, so part of me is like, cool, make reels. And like, but then I'm like, oh, like, there's something about the long form medium, whether it's like a book or like a really long article, like a weekend read or like a podcast, like like the Lex Friedman podcast, right? Like that long form can't be condensed into like 10 reels. It's like not the same. There's like nuances that get lost. So I'm all for the long form podcast and you all did a good one here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Learning Out Loud. If you found anything useful, please share with a friend to help us grow. We'd also appreciate it if you could rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week with a new episode.